Where large sums of money are concerned, it is advisable to trust nobody. Agatha Christie. This is Save versus Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant. I'm Jeremy. And I'm John. This is a hard topic for us, because John and I are actually divided on this. This time we're talking about Kickstarter and crowdsourcing. I I love Kickstarter. I love crowdsourcing. John has a different opinion on it. Well, I don't hate or dislike Kickstarter and crowdsourcing. I dislike how it's frequently used, and I think I'm going to be able to lay out the case as to why I dislike that so much. Let's talk about what crowdsourcing is. What is crowdsourcing and what is Kickstarter? Well, more generally, crowdsourcing is any situation where instead of using what would be traditionally done by an individual or a small group of people, it's sent out to a larger group of people. In some cases, this is like scientific research, like folding proteins. And in other cases, which is specifically what we're referring to here, it's achieving funding or getting backers for a project, investors. Normally this would be done by a small number of individuals who all contribute a very large amount of money to a project, but in the case of Kickstarter, you usually have a lot of individuals who contribute a relatively small amount of money to a project, thus making it possible. Um, In this context, we're also talking about things like early access, which is basically beta testing for a game that you pay for. Well, beta testing used to be one of those things that sometimes you even got paid for. And I, I actually did a lot of free beta testing back on, what was that, the PlayStation 2? There was a PlayStation Network thing that you could do, and you could be a beta tester. It was a big waste of time most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. The thing is, beta games are beta for a reason. They're not meant to be released to the larger public. And there is a certain novelty value in playing a beta game, but in most cases, beta means an unpolished, unfinished project. And to me, paying for that is just... I don't know, it kind of feels wrong to me. Um, One example was a game called Starbound, which I really enjoy, and which eventually did reach its full release state. But during its development, there was actually some question as to whether it would achieve that release state, and largely that was because the publishers realized that during their early access period, they had successfully reached market saturation. There wasn't really anyone interested in buying the game after it came out. Everyone who was really interested in it had already opted in on the early access. And that really was a crushing blow to their morale because it meant that they were working on a project for no additional money. So today, uh, I'm going to try and play good cop. John's going to try and play bad cop. And we're going to talk about Kickstarters. We're going to talk about, uh, looks like, four Kickstarters each that have been completed that we we think really represent our side. And I'm going to come out guns a-blazing here. One of the most popular Kickstarters of all time, Exploding Kittens. Now, for those of you who don't know what Exploding Kittens is, it's a kitten-powered version of Russian Roulette. On your turn, you, you draw a card, and if it's a exploding kitten, you go boom and you're done. You get a diffuse card which lets you put the exploding back and there's other cards you play to make other people draw cards more. It's it's a silly, stupid little game. It's largely random. It's not intended to be a deep strategic game. But it's fun. It's really, really fun. 
And part of the reason that it got so big was the illustrator was The Oatmeal. For those of you who don't know The Oatmeal, very, very funny little uh, webcomic thing. His real name, if I had done my research and actually written it down, is Matthew Inman. He's a funny guy. He's hilarious. I mean... He's got a massive following for that reason. He's very, very funny. But how how much did Exploding Kittens actually net in its Kickstarter compared to what it was trying to get? Okay, so 219,382 backers. Each... Wait, that's the backers? I thought you were giving me the money. They each pledged about $40. And so the game, which they originally wanted to get $10,000 for, raised... $8,782,571. It's interesting because this is just a demonstration of how Kickstarter is a great way of measuring interest in a project. In this case, there was completely disproportionate interest to what they were expecting. This is the exact opposite of the Thomas the Tank Engine RPG, also looking for $10,000 in funding and managed to net zero. A a Thomas the Tank Engine game. Yeah, an RPG. I believe it had actually, it planned on having a post-apocalyptic setting where humans were enslaving the trains to transport the, I don't know. The the point is, you probably, (laughs) really, look it it up sometime. It's amazing. Uh, The point is, you really would probably be better off like adapting the fate system or maybe GURPS. Actually, GURPS probably already has a source book for Thomas the Tank Engine or playing anthropomorphic trains. You know, I'll have to look on my bookshelf to see if I just so happen to have yeah, that. Yeah, you might you might actually just happen to randomly have that. But the point is that Exploding Kittens, that's a good example of a Kickstarter. It, it went 30 days and it raised $8 million. Uh, $8.7 million. No one was thinking it was going to be this big. It was probably just the, these three guys going, hey, let, let's have a little bit of fun, make this game. And it lived up to its name and exploded. Absolutely exploded. It is the best example that I can come up with just immediately for a Kickstarter that lives up to its potential. Lives up to its potential and then some. Now on the flip side there are Kickstarters that have some technical issues to them usually involving the actual fulfillment process. Now one thing they don't tell you about Kickstarter is it's not a store. And yeah I know that's in Kickstarter's terms but frankly no Kickstarter says pledge $20 and you may receive if we make the project work. It never says that, even though that is the implicit social contract involved Kickstarter. Some of them actually at the bottom have a, what are the risks of this Kickstarter? And they gloss over it. I think they're all required to do that now. I think that was something Kickstarter added to their terms of service after, I think, think some e-watch that never actually came into being not the pebble beach one because i think that actually happened although i certainly didn't have any real interest in that but one example of a kickstarter that i think went awry not in a big way was the deluxe unspeakable words now the kickstarter was fulfilled and it it, uh, netted a whopping 179,404 dollars with 1246 backers for an average of 48 dollars a backer now they were all supposed to receive physical copies of this game and to my knowledge they all have but there were reports of backers who still hadn't had their orders fulfilled while the game was shipping to game stores now of course on kickstarter game stores are totally allowed to be backers but there were rumors or possibly confirmed 
confirmed. I, I really, the the discussion of it has been kind of bogged down by people who are arguing both sides of it, but there are rumors that it was being shipped to game stores for order, and it was definitely in catalogs for order before the Kickstarter was fulfilled for all its backers, and that's rather bad form. As I said, I'm fairly certain that everybody got their copy. That seems to be the consensus online now, but people were kind of demoralized seeing it in game shops before they even got. And uh, Unspeakable Words is a fun little word-building game with cards in your hand. I I own a copy of the base game, and it's fun. It really is, but uh, if you're going to front money for a deluxe version, I can understand being very upset by seeing a copy in, in a store before you have your copy. Right. Exactly. So I think it's your turn now to tell us what Kickstarter did it right. Here we go. Well, Unspeakable Words was made by a company that really didn't need the money to do a deluxe version. My game, Scythe, is also made by a company that probably didn't need the money, uh, Stegmeier Games. Scythe is a 4X game. 4X is Explore, Expand, Exploit, Exterminate. And it's set in a alternate history 1920s Eastern Europe. It's a nice little fun game. Now, Scythe is is a great example of a Kickstarter because once they reached their $33,000 goal, they just started adding more to what people were getting on the Kickstarter. They had so many stretch goals, and they just upped the production value. In the end, they had 17,739 backers that pledged $1,810,294. That's, once again, amazing interest in a game. And while they probably could have shipped it out to stores and got the money that way, this is hitting directly to the people who want it. Right, and it's another example of measuring the interest in something and making giving them an opportunity to gauge that interest and determine what kind of product they want to put out based on what people are willing to pay for. And people were so interested in this. The, the original pledge for a copy of the game plus a promo pack was $60. People ended up pledging $102 on average. So that means they went for a premium copy of it with a bunch of extra add-ons and additions. That definitely speaks to, to me that they had interest and people wanted to keep going and keep investing in this game. I do believe that that is one of the examples of, once again, Kickstarter doing it right. People were interested in this game, a company that was already established, wanted to put it out there, and they did, and they got it to the people who wanted the game. Now, my next example is uh, kind of an ugly example of Kickstarter. It's, it's a game that seemed to follow all of the expectations of Kickstarter. It was a good way to gauge the interest in the game. The game probably wouldn't be produced without Kickstarter and the company is is really not a strongly established company. I'm referring to the now infamous Kickstarter The Doom That Came to Atlantic City. It was supposed to be a board game for two to four players of Lovecraftian horrors demolishing Atlantic City. and Which sounds awesome. It sounds amazing actually. I, and I, I played that game. I actually missed backing this. I was planning on it as soon as I saw it, but it already expired, so I didn't used to be very up on Kickstarter. Probably still not, but that's not the point. The point is, the Doom that came to Atlantic City was funded at $122,874 with an average of $98 for backers. That's 1,200 backers, 1,246 backers, and is completely vaporware. 
And it's never going to turn into anything. Now, now how, how, really? Complete vaporware? Absolute vaporware. It's never going to happen. We know this. The creator of the Kickstarter has admitted that all the money is gone. And he spent it all in pre-production, in getting software licenses, in commissioning artists and making sure that the art was going to be consistent, in building small prototypes of the project, in moving to Portland, Oregon. Whoa, 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 um, uh, what, what was that last bit? Moving to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, he he used the Kickstarter money as part of his moving expenses to move to Portland, Oregon, where he wanted to create this game. And it makes sense that he wanted to be in Portland, Oregon, because that's where all sorts of crazy things happen. It's well known for that. But ultimately, he abused the Kickstarter system to fund his own personal needs and the kickstarter backers have discussed variously suing him or trying to get him to recoup the money and he did state that he was going to set up a separate savings account and anything beyond his basic living expenses he was going to put into that savings account um now that he gets a new job because he quit his job to do this too Mm. Yeah, see, you see where this fell apart? Yeah. Uh, This is not what Kickstarter is for. And this is the sort of thing that happens on Kickstarter more than people want to admit. Again, when when you bid on something on Kickstarter, you're not buying a product. You are backing a project that may or may not come to pass. And like I said, Kickstarter has, I believe, started requiring projects to say what the challenges are going to be, what sort of obstacles might exist to the project, and what might prevent it. So this is a case of someone who acted quite likely in good faith he meant he meant well he really wanted to create a project he wanted to create this game and he he was excited about it and then the money just went away way faster than he expected he wasn't able to meet any production goals at all he it it really sounds like he just kept tacking things on going oh and i need to do this to make my game i need to do this to make my game i need to do this to make my game. It was an issue of planning, I think. I think that if he had had better opportunity to plan, if, if the Kickstarter had been uh, carried out in a more organized manner with less expectation that this was going to fund him personally, that it would have had a different effect, ultimately. Well, my next one is, I think, the penultimate example that I have of, of Kickstarters doing exactly what Kickstarters do best which is reaching the people that they need to reach and removing the middleman of distributing to all the game stores. Don't get me wrong, I do back my local game store, which everyone should, but for niche products, it's it's not the place to go. Yeah, back, back your friendly local game store, seriously. The product that I'm talking about now is uh, Deadlands, specifically their Stone in a Hard Place source book and plot point campaign. Now, what that is, is it's essentially just a campaign book for this one particular story, Stone in a Hard Place. Now, Deadlands, for those of you who don't know, is a Wild West game with zombies and dragons and magic and weird mad science. It's over-the-top and fun for a very select group of people. Now, this Kickstarter, they were wanting to raise $6,000. That's enough to produce a book. And they only had 856 backers, which is a very, very small number compared to yeah, tens of thousands, or what was it, over a hundred, over two hundred thousand for the oatmeal, something like that. Yeah. A very large number of backers. Yeah, so comparatively, this is a very small number of backers. But they ended up raising fifty thousand dollars, which is fifty-eight, fifty-nine dollars or so per person mm. uh, back. So it's 
it was a successful Kickstarter campaign, and the people who would want this product, this fairly niche product, could go, yes, we want to back this. We want this product. Here is our money. And so for people who are fans of, as, as I said, a niche game, Deadlands, wonderful game. If you've never played it, go out and try it. G- give it a try. Give it a go. It's actually, it's it's very enjoyable. I, I enjoyed the one-off that we played of it. For those who want it, this was amazing. For those who don't, it would have been a waste of money. Complete complete lack of interest if it's not your niche. And I, I don't believe that my friendly local uh, gaming store would have would have picked this up. I don't know if they even carry Deadlands. You think Steve has Deadlands in stock? I, I actually kind of doubt it. I, I don't think so. I don't even really remember where I got my original version of the Savage Worlds uh, rulebook. I think I might have picked up at Gen Con walking by their booth. Quite possible. So that right there is another great example of a company doing what they need to do to reach the people that they need to reach. I think that that is, that's perfect. That really is. Okay, well, my next example, this might be a little controversial, and I want to disclaim this by pointing out that I am not blaming, well, you'll get it in just a moment, okay? So, Goblins is a fairly popular online gaming-related webcomic. I like it. There you go. Okay, so, it's not exactly my cup of tea. I enjoyed it for a while, but had some pretty bad Cerebus syndrome going on. What's, uh, what's that? Oh, uh, Cerebus the Aardvark was a comic that was meant to be a parody of Sword and Sorcery, and it ended up turning into something much bigger and much more serious than it originally uh, was intended to be. So things that start out silly, like jokes and such, and then evolve into something, something more, something more serious, something that has some social commentary to it, they have Cerebus Syndrome. Oh, it's the it's the Moral Oral Syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah, like Moral Oral. Uh, that's a great example. Um, wow, that series, I tell you what. First two seasons, just hilarity. Third season makes you cry about all the hilarity. But that's not where I'm going with this. Goblins. Let's let's get back on track, okay? I'm, I'm going to roll save versus rant. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I got a three, so I think I have to continue ranting. Goblins. Goblins Alternate Realities was a game, a board game and card game that was going to be released. And the creator of Goblins, affectionately known as Thunt, uh, his name is actually uh, Terrell Stevens. Yeah, Terrell Stevens. He was working with a man named Richard James, head of Evertide Games, and they were working together on this project. Now, this project was backed on Kickstarter and apparently also backed on PayPal. I'm not sure exactly how that's supposed to work, but it was backed on Kickstarter at the sum of about $182,000 by over 2,200 backers. And that puts it about uh, $82 a person. Now, what ended up happening is that Thunt's partner took the money and ran. And there's really no recourse against that sort of activity on Kickstarter. Because, again, Kickstarter's not a store. Now, I believe Thunt acted in good faith. I believe that he really wanted to create a project that everyone could get behind. It's entirely possible that Richard James acted initially in good faith. But there's very little question that when Richard James took the money, stopped contacting Thunt, deleted the Kickstarter, removed all reference to any part of it from everywhere and stopped returning any sort of communication whatsoever it's pretty solidly clear that he's no longer acting in good faith and that this he actively stole from those kickstarter backers he stole uh somewhere into the tune of about one hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. just took it 
and ran. My understanding is that Thunt's been trying to still uh, finish the game and take things through, and uh, yeah, that's commendable, but it's not really going to change anything about what happened with the Kickstarter. And this is an example of how Kickstarters that otherwise are perfect can really start to go bad in a very profound way very quickly. All right. I, I say probably the best for last. The Kickstarter that I think, without a doubt, is the example of a company doing what Kickstarter is meant to do and fulfilling on it perfectly. I'm, of course, talking about Reaper Bones. For those of you who don't know, Reaper Bones... Uh, Reaper is a miniatures producing company. They they make miniatures for role playing games. You paint them up, you put them on the on the board. They look beautiful. Bones is a line of plastic miniatures. Normally, Reaper miniatures are pewter, but bones are plastic. They they hold up better to abuse because they aren't going to bend. They, they're they're made of plastic. They're also cheaper to buy, so you don't have to spend fifteen dollars for a mini for a character, especially if you don't know how long running the campaigns going to be. It's a great little project, and what they did is they, they want to raise $30,000 to up the production of this product. They make made all of their bones in China, and so they just wanted to make more molds to increase the line and get people more interested in their uh, in their line. Right. The line was kind of moving along at a lackadaisical rate, so it wasn't really turning into a product that people were going to really pick up. When it hit the internet, people went, oh, gaming miniatures for cheap? How much is this? What will I get? Oh my goodness, I'm getting a lot of minis. And it was a lot of minis. It was a lot, a lot of minis. Reaper ended up raising about $3 million, $3,429,235 to be precise. That is a lot of money. That's And that was 17,744 backers doing that. That means they each pledged $193, $194 for each of them. Considering that the base level for the box was 100 bucks. That means each person bought almost two full boxes of these minis. I know I limited myself to about $200 on that Kickstarter, although I would have gladly spent a lot more if I didn't restrain myself. I spent about $200 on that one. They raised so much money that they actually brought a good amount of their production stateside. Um, And so a number of the uh, Bones miniatures that you're that you go out and buy in stores are made in the United States. And that's wonderful. It helped move the company forward. It really was. They got to further their company and keep costs low, expand their line. They, they did everything that they wanted and more. It was a perfect windfall for, for Reaper. Now, Reaper also did a second and third Kickstarter for the Bones line. The second Kickstarter for Bones was actually even more successful overall. Each person ended up actually pledging $211, uh, almost $212. But they actually raised less money overall. They only raised... 3,169,000. Oh, just 3,169,000. Only that. Oh, only. And Bones 2, they, their whole point for that one was to create bigger miniatures, large size monsters, the uh, the giants, the miniature dragons, the, that type, as opposed to Bones 1, which was more character-based. Yeah, more characters, goblins, orcs, skeletons, that sort of small small miniatures. 
Bones 2 was focused on large miniatures and gave them yet another opportunity to expand a line that would have otherwise expanded very slowly. But they did do a third Kickstarter as well, Bones 3, which frankly didn't really seem to have a theme as far as I was concerned. From everything I could tell, it was, let's do this again. Even their video was started out by saying, people keep asking us when we're going to do a Bones 3 Kickstarter. Well, here it is. Yeah, why not? You know, because it worked. And, and I suppose that that one is more more driven from the from the consumer side. We want another Kickstarter. We want another Kickstarter. Obviously, they they still raised two point seven million dollars, so it was good for business. Yeah, certainly good for business. But in my opinion, it's not really what Kickstarter is for. I mean, at this point, the Bones line was very well established. Reaper almost certainly has a surplus that they could use to further expand the line. The interest is there in spades now. There's no question that people will buy the Bones products. But really, when it comes down to it, it's not really the point of Kickstarter. Kickstarter's not about just giving a company an opportunity to expand their line. Now, people might disagree with me on this, but crowdsourcing is usually used by companies to defray costs or risk that would normally not be possible, risks that they would not be willing to take on their own. For my money, Kickstarter is usually for a company to get off the ground. In this case, Reaper is fully established. Their Bones line is fully established. It is for expansion. This this Bones 3 was to expand their line. Oh, Once yeah, again, they're... they only wanted $30,000. And they're not trying to release miniatures that they've already released as Bones miniatures. They are just adding more miniatures to the Bones line. But at this point, it seems that they could do that on their own. Now, full disclosure, I put in about $180 into the Bones 3 Kickstarter. I, I backed $200 myself because apparently I have nothing but disposable income sometimes. So despite all my groaning and griping, frankly, I can't really take the moral high ground on this. Um, despite the fact that I don't necessarily agree that this is what Kickstarter is for... This is something I'm willing to kickstart. Now, my final example is going to be, um, again, a little controversial. I'm talking, of course, of Star Citizen, uh, which is a uh, video game, a uh, multiplayer game designed by the infamous and famous Richard Garriott, credible game author who was strongly involved in the Ultima series, as in he created it. One of the most iconic CRPGs of all time. Now, the Star Citizen was a very ambitious game meant to do all sorts of things. It basically, it was going to fly you to the moon. You were going to see a million star systems. You were going to be able to do whatever you wanted, however you want. It's just this amazing thing. It sounds like No Man's Sky. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a comparison with No Man's Sky because Star Citizen is something that people are actually excited about still. But Star Citizen raised an amazing $2,134,374. That's with people pledging on average $62. Now, for that $62 pledge, 
there were no physical rewards except, uh, what was it? A, a green card <laughs> meant that this was an entire, almost entirely digital project with no real physical components. And it's currently an alpha stage. Now that, that sounds exciting. Like, oh, that's fantastic. The Kickstarter though ended on November 19th, 2012, and the estimated release date was 2014. So how how does the game play? I mean, you know, that was two years ago. Well, there's alpha. There is an alpha release of the game that a number of the Kickstarter backers have access to. And from what I've heard and from what people have said seeing it stream on Twitch, it's actually a very interesting game that's definitely coming along, but it's still not done. And it's still definitely not ready for mass production. And certainly it, it's two years now past when the estimated release date was. Now that's not Duke Nukem Forever style vaporware <laughs> the, the game that dares not speak its name but that's certainly a substantial difference between what was estimated to occur and what was actually delivered now i believe we agreed that our last one we were both going to be discussing directly yeah the, the last thing i have here is actually a kickstarter that while we were researching this we stumbled upon it's Monster Hearts 2. I will admit, I've backed it. Uh, backing it right now, I'm waiting for it to, to come out. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, Monster Hearts is a narrative RPG. It uses the same system as Dungeon World, Apocalypse World, and I think several other small RPGs. But Monster Hearts is sort of a Twilight game, much like the Twilight series books about monsters in romantic and sexual relationships with one another. According to the Kickstarter, it you play a brooding teenager who is secretly a monster. You have to deal with high school betrayals, fledgling relationships, and the occasional full moon transformation into a hulking beast of fur and fang. That sort of thing. Yeah, so a pretty incredible game as far as the concept and even the execution is pretty amazing. The project, as I understand it, the project was originally part of the authors uh, coming out as a as a trans woman. Yes, uh, Avery Alder is a queer trans woman, and once again, right on Kickstarter, it says the first edition of Monster Hearts was all wrapped up in her coming out process, so it has a huge significance for her on a personal level. This is a great example of diversity in gaming, but that's a rant for another time, and we will rant. Oh, we will rant. Effectively, this is a great example of another Kickstarter that both gauges interest and allows a product that would probably not come out otherwise to be produced. Now, the creator of this Kickstarter is very generous with it. it they offer a lot at a lot of different levels of support. My favorite one, the one that actually guaranteed that they, uh, Kickstarter was getting my money, was the Homecoming book level. It's a discount copy of the finished book for queer teens and folks in poverty. It's, in, it's entirely on the honor system. Now, to be clear, we're not queer teens or folks in poverty, so that's not what we pledged for. Oh, no. We uh, we actually ended up pledging uh, the Dear Diary level. That's about 40 bucks per pledge. It is a game that I personally believe in. It's a Kickstarter that I hope will get their product to me. I, I believe in it, and I would love to see more from all the people involved. Yeah, and more importantly, I believe that this Kickstarter will be fulfilled, and that it's going to be a quality product, because I've seen what has been done before, and I understand why this is being kickstarted. So, where does that leave us? I mean, I'm still 
fully pro Kickstarter, but having heard some of these things, I'm kind of wary of some of the downfalls of Kickstarter. Kickstarter and crowdsourcing are amazing aspects of the internet and the way that we now connect with people. But like like anything, as, as I've said before, it's not all good. It's not all bad. There are aspects to this that need to be considered. And when you kickstart a project, you need to go in with the understanding that there is no guarantee that you are going to get what is being promised. That is actually part of how Kickstarter functions. And while everybody seems to think of Kickstarter as a store where you go in, you find the product you want, you find the level you want to pay for it, and you make that payment, Kickstarter is not a guarantee that you're going to get what you're paying for, and it's not a guarantee that what you're paying for is ever actually even going to exist. There is still a human element that is prone to failure and moreover to bad faith. So I believe that's all we have for this episode. Next episode looks like character death. Ah, yes. The uh, bane of every RPG, the moment when that special someone that you've created and cradled and loved all this time is finally gone. All right, everyone. Once again, this is Say Versus Rant. Thanks for listening. Thomas Tusser once said, Fool and his money are soon parted. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you. You have not asked for your money and you're not going to give it to us.